Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Rosalie Bluston. Rosalie is the author of the novel Trial by Family, a gold medal winner in the 2020 Independent Publisher Book Awards, the memoir Dying in Dubai, a 2016 Forward Indies Book of the Year winner, and a 2017 Eric Hoffer Award finalist, and The Chocolate Jar and Other Stories, all published by Apprentice House Press. Today, we'll be talking about her new memoir, Almost. Her plays have been produced nationally and internationally. She lives and teaches in New York's Hudson Valley. Welcome back, Rosalie. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm delighted to be back. Me too. I think this is your third your third t- hour with me here. And um, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, there's, there's the story about a loss and then there's how that then impacts life going forward. And when I have people come back to talk again, I can see the threads. So I, I love tying up those threads. Me too. I mean, I, I love that there's that we can deal with all kinds of loss. And clearly today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different um, from the uh, previous books, but yes, I mean, you know, you met me after my first book, which was about the loss of my husband. And, you know, this is, uh, it's been a, it's been a journey. (laughs) journey. (laughs) As as life tends to be. (laughs) so let's let's start at the beginning. Um, you were absolutely convinced, I would say, that you would have a successful acting career, which I guess in some ways we'd have to say you did, but in other ways you didn't. Can you share with the listeners a little bit kind of what you expected versus how it unfolded? Sure. Um Almost my life in the theater is really my reckoning with um, my big, big dreams, which started when I was very young. I was a little tiny girl when I just pointed at the television set and said, I want to do that. And my mother took me seriously. She was a visual artist, but she believed in the arts. And so she took me to drama class and dance class. and, And I started, you know, I was in plays as a child and trained seriously at the Interlock and Arts Academy. And I was a drama major at Vassar and got an MFA in theater and all along, you know, did summer stock and all the way through, I got a lot of validation from a lot of people, some from professors and from directors and from fellow actors that I had it, that I had what it took and I could feel that inside me. I was absolutely driven and determined to make it. And what I did was when I wasn't getting the parts I wanted, I started writing plays for myself. I started writing solo performances. And back in the day when almost no one but Hal Holbrook and 
Julie Harris were doing solos <laughs> and, they were, and they were stars. Um, so I created work. And they were probably stars and then did that. So exactly. that the audience came, right? <laughs> well, interestingly, my father, who was an attorney, not an arts guy, but he certainly supported the artists in the family. And he said, Rosalie, you're doing this backwards. <laughs> you know, he did it first. And I, but I, but for me, it was just, uh, that was part of the drive. I, I wasn't going to just sit by and do nothing but auditions. I needed to make work so that I could get on stage. And, you know, people like Whoopi Goldberg were being discovered doing solo shows. And there was a certain amount of that going on in the 80s, um, you know, 70s, 80s when I was coming up. So it didn't seem so far fetched, you know, that somebody could walk in and discover me if I did my own well, shows. There, there's also the fact that if uh, if people are if a person is deeply creative in a particular direction they need to do that thing and the the dependence you know i think of this in terms of conductors or in terms of you know these things you need the audience in order to do it right so there's making it but there's also just doing it i i could imagine that you were since you were very very um intent on acting you had to act I did. And I even spent a year doing stand up. And thank goodness I did, because that's how I met my husband. Mm -hmm. Right after one of those shows outside standing at the bus shelter, there he was. And, you know, the that comedy club didn't book me, but I met the love of my life. So, you know, all these threads of love and meaning and work are all tied together in my life in this way that I look back and say, well, I guess it was all meant to be. But yeah, I wanted an audience. So I was even doing something like stand up, which really wasn't my thing, just to be in front of people. And I imagine to experiment, because that would have been pretty experimental for you. Oh, you oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and in a way, it was very good because then when I went back to theaters to do after the comedy club period, it was so much easier because, of course, theater audiences are a lot more respectful than comedy club audiences. <laughs> you know, you don't have the people, the intoxicated people in the back of the room screaming at you. And yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think that's probably gotten worse since those days that you were yeah. doing it, too. Yeah, um, there's a so. pretty, pretty intense, can be pretty intense in mm -hmm. that way. So yeah. Let's have people hear a little bit of the book, and I'd love for you to share the the section. You know, you intersected with, um, I guess we'd have to say, one of the most successful actresses or actors in our generation, right? <laughs> you kind yeah. of crossed over. You were in the same environment, and yeah. um, and you know, it's like a, a fork, and they go different ways, but. <laughs> Yeah. It's that point of intersection. Can you share that part of the book? I, I will. Um, this is at this is uh, this chapter takes place at Vassar College, uh, where uh, when I was a freshman, Meryl Streep was a senior, and Meryl is a thread through this whole memoir uh, because at the end of my my own senior year with Meryl long gone. A moment came that stayed with me, changed me, and later kind of tormented me. Um, that day, our professor, Clint, walked over to the group of us who were all about to graduate, and we began grilling him about our collective prospects. 
He was our link to the professional theater world. He was sharp, funny, and no-nonsense director. We worshipped him. We would miss him. Now we wanted him to tell us the truth. Who among us do you think could have a real acting career? Tell us. We can take it. Clint sat on the aisle, perched on top of one of the seats. He shook his head. You really want to know, he said. We nodded. Meryl. We shook our heads. Of course, of course. Besides Meryl, we chimed. Then he looked me in the eye and Rosalie, Meryl and Rosalie. I blushed. Everyone was silent. The technical rehearsal resumed. No one ever discussed it. I was stunned. This was big. Over the following years, as Merrill's career skyrocketed and mine stalled, I thought, but Clint said, and I kept going, for decades, watching her amass Oscar after Oscar, I believed that my version of success as an actor was just around the corner, Clint said. Whenever a new Merrill movie came out, two of my Vassar classmates and I would meet to see it, always in my mind behind each of these encounters with the by then world-class myth of Merrill were Clint's words, a compliment, a vote of confidence from a respected teacher, and over time, a taunt. What's wrong with you? You had it and you failed. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and yeah, I did... I didn't tell that story to anyone for years and years and years. Um, my husband knew, my therapist knew. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and I had to face the fact, I mean, she's, that's woman's an international star and I'm not even close. So, and, and come to terms with my own story and my own journey as being valid for its own sake. But yeah, for a long time, that was a real um, marker where I just kept, you know, thinking, but, you know, he believed in me so much that he put me in the same company with her. And she was already, she was considered a star at Vassar on a level no one had ever been. So, yeah. It's, uh, well, and one thing I'm thinking about is, you know, we like to operate like we're in control of things. <laughs> well, many people do. I, I have a hard time pulling that off after seeing how not in control uh, life is. But, um, you know, that was, you couldn't make it happen, right? Right. It, it had to happen. Right. right. And, and yet we, we imagine that um, the loss of the thing is, is our fault, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. Uh, as really if there's some think. magic thing that could have made yeah. it come out differently. Oh, yeah. I felt, I can, I can honestly say I felt a lot of shame that I hadn't lived up to that early promise. And, you know, there's the other thread in the book is Oscar winners. So Meryl Streep, I won the Greer Garson Award at Dallas Theater Center when I was getting my MFA and I met Greer Garson. And again, an auspicious beginning is no guarantee of success. But I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, well, look at me. I'm, you know, being validated in all these, you know, ways in proximity to these stratospheric stars. But yeah, I blamed myself um, for a long time that I wasn't, you know, making the right choices or I wasn't, but I was really doing everything I could do. 
And in the meantime, uh, I was so aware in the book that in, in other types of ways, many people would consider you quite successful. You know, you got teaching jobs, uh, yeah. you produced yeah. your, your, your own work. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a relative matter, the success thing, isn't it? It, it, it absolutely is. And I think for a long time, you know, society, well, I, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I think, you know, it's, it seems to be about money. I mean, if you're making money, you're success. And if you're not, if you don't, you're not. But success is more than that in the arts, certainly. And I, you know, I certainly paved the way for other performers, Actors' Equity created a contract for solo performers, especially for me, uh, that still exists today, uh, because I was sort of pioneering at that point. I, I didn't know that, but I realize it now. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And and the other thing was, from even from childhood, people would say that I was a professional. They would tell my mother, she's the professional of the community theater <laughs> And, and that was also a two double-edged sword, sort of like the Merrill story, where I would think, yeah, I'm a professional, so why am I not making enough money and why am I not? But I was, professional is about an attitude and a discipline and a commitment. And so you can be professional uh, in the arts, certainly, even if you're not making tons of money. So, yeah. Well, most of the artists that I I know, and I know a lot of artists in my personal life, um, they're not, you know, Beyonce. (laughs) 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 But they're amazing, right? So the two don't necessarily equate. But um, what it does seem as if you, you had was a great deal of confidence, which I kind of credited your, your mother with because she took you so seriously. You know, it it seems to me that does inspire confidence in a kid if if their parent acts as if, of course, they can do it. But then the downside, when it's time to let it go, it's hard to let it go, right? You're supposed to be doing it. (laughs) Absolutely true. I mean, she... You know, she was a visual artist, as I said, and and we, my first lessons in the, you know, how you concentrate and commit to creation was with finger painting when I was, you know, three. We would get on the floor together and finger paint. That's where I start the book because we were focused on making something and that was what was important. And she considered the arts the absolute pinnacle of achievement you know, that, um, you know, scientists, philosophers, lawyers, doctors, and artists, that was the highest achievement. And that is the way I was raised. And so, you know, she absolutely took everything that I wanted to do seriously and supported it and believed in it. And it made a huge difference. But you're right that letting it go um, was all the more difficult uh, because of that investment, you know, her investment mm. in me and mine and myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mentioning before we came on air uh, that I interviewed Karen Grassley, who was mm. Ma on Little House on the Prairie, Bright Lights, Prairie Dust is, is her book. I would say she didn't have confidence and yet she had drive, <laughs> right? Mm. But yeah. it kind of, you know, um, 
led to all kinds of problems that she didn't have the confidence underneath that I think you had. Mm. But uh, she was going to let it go and then just happened into that, which led to the, you know, being recognized in the money and all that. Mm-hmm. But it seems almost accidental. Like you you were trying, trying, trying. She was trying, trying, trying. And then just it sort of accidentally worked out differently. Is that how you look at it? I mean, I think so. I have to, I mean, I think you can try and try. And I think you need to be, you know, that, that luck is part of it. But preparation is, you have to be prepared when you have that lucky break. Mm-hmm. And so I was always preparing, thinking the break was around the corner. Uh, but there is luck involved. There is happenstance. And there, you know, and there were certainly people telling me I wasn't handling it right. I mean, you know, there's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful kind of shocking argument with Olympia Dukakis she, in which she's telling me I should go to New York. What am I doing in Montclair, New Jersey? I'm a professional. I should be acting. Why am I hiding my light under a bushel? And, you know, <laughs> you can't win for trying. And I can't <laughs> win for trying. And we're screaming at each other. And I say, I'm not, you know, and I really just thought I was making the best of my situation because at that point in my life, I was also a wife and mother. I had a small child, my son, who's now 36. But mm-hmm. when he was little, I did want to be home a lot. And I was trying to juggle part-time teaching, auditions, writing my own shows, you know, keeping something alive creatively. But I really, it was really important to me to be there for him. And I don't think I understood that fully until much later. I Mm -hmm. kept thinking, oh, I can do it all at once. But it was really, really difficult. It was really, really difficult to do. I would like to talk more about that because I feel that impacts in particular women, obviously, and Mm -hmm. is still a factor. It it has not gone away, this this Mm -hmm. tension between um, aspiration. Of course, it affected your mother, too, and my mother. Um, uh, They're a similar generation. So let's talk a little more about that when we come back. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Every single link to every single thing is on there. And to find Rosalie Blueston, you can go to rosaliebluston.com. It's spelled R-O-S-E-L-E-E-B-L-O-O-S-T-O-N.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rosalie Bluston about her memoir just released, Almost. And uh, before the break, Rosalie, we were we were just um, diving into a little bit of a conversation about um, women trying to do it all, basically, I guess we'd say. Yeah. And uh, I know for sure that my... Once I had children, my career choices were very much affected by wanting to be there. Um, you know, I, I, I kept it to a, a smaller footprint, I guess we would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it sounds like you didn't do that exactly, but, but you were kind of having to juggle would that be fair to say? Oh, definitely. I, I don't think, I really think I, I, I kept saying to myself, I can do it all. But of course, I was always making choices, which were sometimes physical. I really just needed to be there when he got home from school, sometimes emotional wrapped into it that I, you know, wanted to read him a bedtime story, my son. And, and, you know, I kept thinking, but I can then go to my rehearsal and I can do all of this anyway. But of course we all have, even though I had enormous amount of energy, <laughs> everyone has their limits and nothing tests your limits like motherhood. Um, and I think, you know, I, I started fashioning my work to suit what my life needed to be so that I could raise my son in the way that I wanted to raise him. And that's not, well, a just, you know, yeah. And it's not just an energy question. A person mm-hmm. literally can't be in two places at once. <laughs> I mean, that's not <laughs> possible, right? <laughs> right. right. No how much energy right. you have, that's not right. a possibility. And right. I, I think I also remember from, 
from your um, Dying in Dubai, your your first memoir, that your husband traveled a lot, didn't he? Or well, not at that point? Not that much at that point. I mean, there were times where he would travel. Most of the travel that he did was when Ollie was our son was already in college. So that's when Dubai uh, was uh. happening. Um, but he worked in the city. So I was the one home in New Jersey and I was the one in charge of school and, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth and all of the things that go along with that and the PTA. And, and, and he was a very involved father, but he worked in Manhattan. And so, right. you know, and Montclair is not that, that, that close. I've been there. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's it's a bit of a ways. I mean, 12 miles seems. Yeah. It, it, I mean, when we left Brooklyn, I cried going over the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, my, at that point, my son was about two and a half. And when we moved, I, I mean, I think I knew it was the end of an era mm. because I couldn't just hop on a train and go to an audition or go to a, you know, I, I it definitely changed my ability to navigate with the city, although I still tried to do that. I, I, I kept, I kept at it for quite some time uh, until I just kind of burnt out, I would say. Um, I wondered how you, it, it, it did, the book did sort of imply a, a burning out as opposed to a, you know, active decision-making process, I guess. Yeah, but, but what do you think allowed you to accept the loss to to move forward from there? Because of course that's an issue in every loss, isn't it? Oh, oh, it's that's so true. You, you, well, you have to accept what is. You have to accept reality. And I spent a year. Uh, this was in my early forties. I was in Montclair. Um, Going to auditions, getting on the bus, going into my, going into the city, going on auditions, and somewhere, you know, I, I was set to do a hundred. I was going to do a hundred auditions. I wasn't going to give up until I'd done a hundred more. And somewhere in the nineties, <laughs> I look at this hours-long line around the block for an off-off Broadway play that didn't pay, and I thought, this is not working. Mm. What am I doing? I mean, I have to admit that it's not working. And I think I just accepted after that I've really done all I could do. And I had to make some kind of shift. And I didn't really know what that shift was going to be. But I I think that was the burn, the sort of burnout moment where you're giving way more than you're getting back. And, you know, you don't see a path forward anymore on that trajectory. So, um, and I, I actually have a selection here to, that's about that. It's about, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to have you share it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's about that, what it felt like to, at that moment. Acting was my first and most passionate artistic love, but first love isn't necessarily mature love. I have often thought that I should have walked away sooner when I found myself living for the once or twice a year I could be on stage. I was like a free diver, those intrepid souls who deep sea dive without equipment, who hold their breaths for inordinately long periods, risking lung explosion and death, but return to the surface to do it all over again. I gulped each moment of success, held it, 
because I knew it would have to last me for an unknown but inevitably extended stretch until I could come back to the surface and inhale the next life-saving breath. My paid bookings didn't amount to a living. A few dollars along with the thrill of a performance coming alive on stage had kept me hooked, but it wasn't healthy. I had clung to my childhood dream well into middle age. So, you know, it was realizing this wasn't healthy. I wasn't happy. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was becoming the thing that I loved. It was kind of turning, curdling in some way. And I didn't want to be, I'm not a bitter person. I didn't want to be, you know, I, I knew this is when I have to let go and make a shift. When you start resenting the thing you used to love. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And there is grief in it. There is absolutely loss in it and grief and mourning for, you know, a dream that didn't fully manifest. And that is painful. But I just felt that I was, you know, I was old enough to be honest with myself about it. And writing had always been there. So you You had a backup plan (laughs) that seems to be going well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh Exactly. You know, I've been I've been thinking uh, a a lot over the last few years. uh, If if we think of our lives in terms of the losses and gains of them. You know, if mm-hmm. if that's the life story we tell ourselves, which mm-hmm. I do tell myself that story, then we could say you had to face a big loss before your husband died. And and I wonder if that factored in in any way to then how that loss was for you. You know, we kind of build on ourselves. We can never know what it would would have been like without the other thing, right? Right. But I I have this sense that it does influence how we approach later. um, Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I I love how you posed it because, you know, I'm thinking back to the 90s when I was letting go of acting and shifting into other kinds of writing and, you know, still married, still with my husband and into the early 2000s. Um, I was trying to find a new me. Hmm. I was trying to become, and I think with every loss, you shed a layer Absolutely. of the old identity, um, whether it's actress or in the case of losing my husband, wife, um, and then what is left? Who is the new you? And becoming a new you is, you know, that's something I, I've actually done workshops when I would go to widow conferences. I do a, I did a workshop uh, at a couple of them on becoming a new you. And I think that that is something I was learning to do by letting go of my passionate love for acting and trying to find other ways to be creative Mm. um, and trying to see myself in a different way instead of an actress who writes just a writer Mm -hmm. and then to really embrace that. And so I think, yeah, I think maybe it was sort of training wheels for (laughs) the really more horrendous loss, um, sudden loss of my husband 
So that's, uh, thank you for that, because I, I hadn't actually thought about it quite that way, but thank you for framing it that way, because I... Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and you know, it's retrospective, because um, some of, for instance, um, when I came out, that was a loss experience I didn't realize was a loss experience, mm-hmm. um, because it was such a gain experience. But right. at the same time... You know, I lost my family's approval for a while. Um, I lost access to certain certain things if I wanted to be honest, you know. Mm-hmm. I lost I lost comfort living certain places because at the time it would have not been a, a good experience, right? So there uh, and that's also an identity question. Um, and I do feel that gave me some practice. Oh, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm someone else, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is well, a deeper, a deeper yeah. part. Yeah, I mean, I think that all the layers are all there. It, it was always all there, mm-hmm. but but uh, some kind of crisis will force you to peel it back and embrace that that layer that you have been either hiding or denying or simply weren't as aware of as you need to be and realize that, yeah, you could be happier this way. You could be Mm. fuller this way. You could be a more, a whole person in a way that you weren't before. Um, And I I certainly think I am more whole than I've ever been. Mm. Uh, And, and it, and some of that is because of working through all the various losses and the constant reinvention that comes with that. Yes. And then I, I could also imagine, um, you tell me if, this, if you look at it this way, that all of those years of really intense um, doing of acting, right, mm-hmm. which is completely separate from, you know, whether you get an Oscar, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got I to gotta think that that contributes to the way that you write, that, um, you know, I can, I, I can see when I'm reading your books, I can, I can see the scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very um, uh, animated. Do you think that has anything to do with what acting taught you, perhaps? Oh, oh I think acting absolutely contributes to the kind of writer that I am. I do visualize and I do physically like my body moves through things even as I'm writing them. And I also, because acting is about getting inside the skin of various characters um, when I'm writing fiction, which I did in the novel and with my short story collection, um, I love doing that. And I know how to do that. I know how to get inside the mind of another person and walk around in their skin and, and imagine their responses. And it absolutely has helped me, um, helped me create scenes. It certainly helped me understand, uh, the tensions and conflicts, which drama, you know, having been in plays that prepares me for all kinds of writing because there's a structure 
um, and what will communicate to the reader or to the audience mm. uh, is very similar. So uh, it's it's absolutely contributed to the kind of writer that I am, and I I, I feel you know that that there's a there's a real relationship there between the two kinds of training. It's it's I'm thinking about it a little more broadly too. That when when we first have a profound loss. Um, it's all about absence. It's as if we've yes. lost everything. Yes. You know, there, yes. there's nothing left for right. most people um, right. right in that moment. But later, we haven't lost everything. No. You know, it's, yeah. it's actually not possible to lose everything. It right. finds its way, our relationships to whatever that thing was that we lost or person um, continues. Uh yeah, at least that's how I I perceive it, and um, so that's kind of an example, isn't it? You lost, um, you you lost acting, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. but the the things that were a part of it inside of you remained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the drama, <laughs> the comedy. <laughs> I can make people laugh. I can make them cry on the page. <laughs> so. And, uh, Hopefully not too not, much crying in, no, the, in, no, your, it's in your life. Right, huh? right. It's all back and forth. And, but I mean the, yeah, I think, I think you're always, it's always all there and who you are is more than the career, the 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 make the creating i mean i think it's more for me about the fulfillment of being able to m- create original work and that of course is a writer's point of view actors tend to be interpreters mm, and so true. what's been so lovely um even in the early years when i was writing to act I was also creating things that had never been there before. I wasn't just interpreting Shakespeare or interpreting someone else's work. I was initiating the work. And so, yes, I've lost the conventional acting career, but I've gained so much more of myself and gotten a chance to explore parts of myself that, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have had time for had my (laughs) acting career continued. You know, that's I was I was uh, just for a couple of minutes in the last few days watching an interview with a with a comedian who uh, during the pandemic, um, he had always doodled little sketches of people and he he decided to take it seriously because he wasn't doing anything else <laughs> and he's now come out with a book of these portraits of different famous people he knows. I'm like, that's sometimes what happens when it gets still and quiet and you're like, what else do I want to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, I've talked with so many people who had that experience during the pandemic. Now, I, I don't want to imply that was a good thing in any way. Mm. It's just that some people made things out of it that were quite yeah. good. Yeah. Creative people are going to be creative. And something, again, a forced isolation, which the pandemic was for many of us. I mean, that's when I was able to put my short story collection together. Hmm. I didn't have the concentration to, I was already working on almost my life in the theater, but I I didn't really have the concentration for a long form work. 
(laughs) But I did have the concentration in the beginning of the pandemic to just work on short stories. And so that kind of saved me through the first year of it where I was, I said, oh, I can do this. I can do the short form stuff. And yeah, you, you become resourceful when you're, you know, faced with limitations. And I think, you know, we, as you and I know, loss creates a limitation. It cuts something off. It cuts very, something out of your life. Very big one. Huge true, one. True. Huge. And then you have to rally and figure out how you're going to respond and go on with some kind of resilience. And that is a process. But, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I feel lucky to be, a, to be creative, to be someone who that's my thing. Um, because I, I can always, you know, pour myself into that, even if I'm wrestling with something else in my life. And I do want to emphasize, it is a choice you make, right? Not, yeah. not everyone does make that choice in the face of loss to yeah. figure out creatively how to go forward. Yeah. Um, most people do, though, actually. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I I found the writing of the two memoirs, one about my husband's loss and one about the loss of my acting life, um, to be a necessity at first. I just Mm. had to write about these experiences. So that was the therapeutic part, but I also knew it would speak to a wider audience. Uh, So it was more than journaling. It became something I thought, you know, I could take out to readers who might never meet me, but that it would resonate with other people. Because even if you didn't have a career in the theater, almost everybody has tried something in their life that they (laughs) failed at, you know, for sure that they had to start start over in their business. They had to, you know, all, all the businesses that fail, all the, the dreams that don't quite make it. So I think, you know, I realized this is something that's a universal, but of course I started writing because I had to, I had to, figure this out and put it in its proper place for me in my life. So those were the initial impulses to certainly to the memoirs, you know, to deal with. Let's, let's go to a break and talk a little more about that. When we get back Um, listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the good grief host page to find Rosalie Bluston, go to rosaliebluston.com back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America. America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Rosalie Bluestone about her new memoir, Almost, and uh, before the break, Rosalie, we were basically talking about the the need that both of us uh, live in, not everyone, but many people, making something new um, as you move forward from a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's interesting because um, this new, um, was was actually looking back, so you had to both be in the the desire you had to do it, mm-hmm. and the moment you dis- you realized you needed to let it go, and then the moving forward, and here you are looking back at it. So it's a lot of layers there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I should tell you that I started writing almost my life in the theater, the summer before my first memoir, Dying in Dubai, found a publisher. And I was having trouble placing it. Um, and I, my son said to me, take a break, mom. You should spend the summer writing about your life in the theater. And he said, I said, really? And he said, yeah, and I know what you should call it. You should call it almost. <laughs> Wow, how prescient of him. That was 2015. (laughs) And so I did. So I wrote a a draft of it. And I, you know, and because he understood and he, you know, now having published it and finished it and, you know, being all the way through the whole thing, he said, yeah, you weren't done with, you hadn't completely processed the whole experience. You Mm. hadn't really dealt with what you went through. And you needed to, and your way of doing that is to write. And uh, so I, you know, I, I mean, I can't thank him enough for, you know, 
dedicated. What a wise, what yeah. a wise, wise person you raised, huh? Yes, I, I, I must <laughs> say, yeah, he was sort of born that way. <laughs> he was born that yeah, way. Yeah, but you can, you, you know, you can't make the person who they are, but you can sure get in the way of them. Exactly. What I say is, yeah, I didn't. He, I, he was born that way, but I, I, I don't think I messed it up. I think no, I, you <laughs> nourished it, and and the same we we could say for your your mother. Yes. Yes. Right. That yeah. um, she she allowed you to become yourself. Yeah. And yeah. then there's a whole life, you know. But I feel as if that's actually the most important parental quality in a way. Yeah. To to yeah. believe that person can become themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. In my life, I, it, when I started writing this book, I didn't really realize until I was into it for a while that a very important thread was my relationship with my mother and her mentoring of me as an artist and her, the model that she created. And, um, and that's, I, I, and I wanted to read a selection about that because she, you know, ultimately I ended up, you know, these things tied together in such a kind yeah. of. And I know what it is you're planning to read now. And we have to, we have to refer to the, I guess irony would we say <laughs> that you perf- that you performed this part? Okay, you know, that- I, yeah. uh, what I did was I did a, a book launch uh, a couple of months ago um, for almost my life in the theater, and I envisioned a year ago that the book launch should be my return to the stage as a solo performer. So I wrote a solo play based on the memoir, and I performed it as the book launch and the books were sold in the lobby and it was at the local theater and, and it was, yeah, a very meta moment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of still yeah. having pieces yeah. of our past yeah. selves, right? So yeah. let's yeah. hear it. <laughs> yeah. I premiered my last play rehearsing for Oscar two months after my mother died from cancer. I mourned my dead career and my dead mother simultaneously. Out of that double grief came a more honest relationship to my creativity and a different calling, writing there all along. Though I wrote a draft of the memoir almost just before my first one, Dying in Dubai, found a publisher, I began working on it in earnest after I turned 66. My mother was diagnosed at 65 and died the next year, it was no accident that I needed to revisit her influence. When her nest was empty in her early 50s, my mother reclaimed our playroom, turned it into an artist's studio, and she worked. Her late life works ended up in private collections. She didn't push for wider recognition for her paintings. And when she could no longer paint or speak, she wrote notes to me in bold felt pen. It is the old tradition for an artist to leave a room full of paintings. They are valuable. I am my mother's daughter. Regarding ambition, failure, and the drive to create, we agreed only the last really mattered. You can't control where your talent takes you. Ever tried? ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, fail better, Samuel Beckett. 
The definition of almost is only a little less than nearly. I've decided to own my almost. I had a life in the theater, which brought me love and meaning, and I'm proud of it. That just feels like such a claiming, Rosalie, that, yeah. Yeah. that, that really the success thing is an external yeah. pronouncement about what we do. But yeah. what you just shared is an internal pronouncement about what you did. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it does come from, you know, a mother who she painted because she loved to paint. And... That, and she created because she needed to create. And where it went in the world, she knew she couldn't control. And she let that, you know, be what it was. And I know she had frustrations. She was a, you know, 50s housewife for a lot of her life. And she put her painting aside to raise her children. But, but she reclaimed that. And, uh, yeah, I feel like I've reclaimed all of me now. I mean, having even returned to the stage to, yes. tell, this, to tell this story, which was uh, really a kind of, a, you know, magnificent healing of the whole thing, you know. And, um, yeah, I'm very, very thankful that, it, uh, that I was able to do that. I was able to manifest that, this on a number of levels. And that, uh, I, you know, you, you didn't mention the people who came to witness that but <laughs> i i i have to think they were very um what do i i wanted to say warmed you know or yeah, yeah. To, to to watch you claim all of that and and share it must have yeah. been very meaningful yeah it was a beautiful thing and i i you know i had a couple of old friends write to me and say the title's wrong. It's not almost. It's perfect. It's as simple <laughs> as it is. It was, it was just as it's supposed to be. And, you know, I mean, I got a yeah, lovely response from people. And a lot of people, you know, saying, you know, I've always thought of you as a success, which is, you know, a very lovely thing to hear from people who've known you for 50 years or <laughs> 30, 40, 50 years. And even people who've only known me for 10 years or, you know, um, saying only I 10, right? <laughs> only 10, you know, I, yeah, people, many numbers of people said that this is, that this is really not a story about failure. This is a story about renewal, resilience, you know, overcoming obstacles and, still being true to yourself in that process. And I think that's what loss can teach you. You know, that's, it can teach you. I couldn't agree more with that. Are. It teaches you who you are. And, um, and maybe, maybe does change our relationship to a sort of external societal definition of success. Yeah. I mean, money is the, you know, the society's measure of success, no money, no success, but. but and renown. Know, and renown and but the journey, you know, the whole cliche that the journey is more important than the destination. And then, you know, successful peoples aren't rest. Aren't, they're not resting on the laurels of their journeys. They're resting on their laurels. <laughs> but, but but here's the oh. thing. And I, I say that in the show, but but I think and I say that in the book. But 
That cliche has truth. My it, journey was it my does. own. It, it does. It does. That's a great, yeah. a great place for us to wrap up for today. Thanks so much for being with me. And I hope people will go look up the book at Rose, rosaliebluston.com. Tripped over that. Next week, I'll have Cheryl Crowder and Linda Klein, two of the authors in the collection Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals. So timely. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.